we have done great harm in this place. Humanity's imprint on, on the natural environment has been vastly destructive. Imagine the possibilities if some of that harm uh, could be reversed. It's now 50 years uh, since the glory that was Lake Petter in southwest Tasmania was dammed for the sake of hydroelectricity. This was a beautiful place, a glacial alpine lake surrounded by the, the endless ruggedness of, of the mountains of that part of the world. There's an exquisite sweep of gleaming beach, beautiful, placid waters. It's a place of, of deep and obvious ecological significance. There are plans now to restore the lake to its former undammed glory. The campaign back in the day to save the lake in the 60s and 70s, it shaped the early life of Rima Trukhanas. Her, her parents were involved in that campaign. Frances Green uh, joins Rima as well. Frances has produced a documentary for RN's History Listen about the campaign. It was a movement that spearheaded the, well, the creation of the Greens political movement in this country, the world's first Greens Party. Uh, welcome to you both. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. It's lovely to be here. Rima, this is this is a deep uh, family story for you. Uh, this is so much a part of, of your story, your family's history. You learned to swim in Lake Pedder. <laughs> it must have been a very familiar place to you. It became a very familiar place because we returned to it many times. Um, even in the um, in my childhood, we would go twice a year through the summer holidays and at Easter with our dad. And it was a very wonderful place for children because that long white quartzite beach and the relatively shallow lake made it quite a safe place where kids mm -hmm. could really roam and parents could sort of see they were safe and, and well there. And your father, I mean, I think he sensed the, the enormity of the, the tragedy that was befalling this part of the world. He sought to document it. He sought to preserve it in, in some way for, well, for people now can look at his photographs of things that are now lost. Indeed, Jonathan. And as a migrant refugee from Lithuania, he stepped from a beautiful country that became war-torn to Australia and really wanted to embrace his new home mm. and spent a lot of time in the bush, probably healing himself as well as embracing his new country. And he was aware that things of great beauty could be destroyed by humanity. Through his photographs, he wanted to share um, an understanding or, or an awareness of uh, what was in the southwest quarter of Tasmania, which for some people was of great interest if you were in a bushwalking club, but for, for many people in that era, you know, that, that was a kind of dangerous wild west which <laughs> um, could consume people and, you know, you may you never come back. So there was quite a polarised um, relationship in the 60s. To bring it back to Lake Petter, Francis, the, the, it, it, if we can perhaps go to the the thinking that, that led to this damming, what were the plans of the, of the Hydroelectric Commission? Look, the Hydroelectric Commission at the time in the, in, the, in the 60s and the 70s foresaw these really remote areas as an opportunity to build their mantra around 
jobs, jobs, jobs. Uh, and Sounds so familiar. they made a very strong sort of economic argument for the development of, of hydroelectricity in Tasmania. And the government of the time and the Hydroelectric Commission were working hand in glove to you know, pr- propel these messages um, in, in the community, in, in the state at the time. And so they often did a lot of background work that was behind the scenes really prior to people publicly knowing that, that these works w- were being developed. So they were building roads through to Strathgordon where they would eventually build accommodation for the hydroelectric workers. The story for us became multi-layered. I think this story we've called Buried Treasure. It is about a lake that was buried. I think for me, though, you know, there's also a, a bigger story around what was happening socially at the time in Tasmania. And I feel that we've been able to harness those those stories it it is about the lake but it's also about the people at the time who really fought hard to to challenge the hydroelectric commission yeah and 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 rima that's that that is your parents and 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 what makes that extraordinary is that i mean we are accustomed now to you know movements to campaign uh, for ecological goals that's part of our political and social vocabulary but that wasn't the case then um, this was a thing that your your parents were were alert to, and to find the way to protest, to find the way to make mm. that voice heard, mm. is 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 mm. ground that they explored. Mm. That's right, and they were a very formidable team. Um, my father and mother. My father was out taking the photographs in these extraordinary places while my mother was organising the meetings and the venues for the slideshows that my dad would then return with the the images to to share with others. And, you know, there were other artists who encouraged and supported dad, painters like Max Angus and Trish Giles, Elspeth Vaughan, and other photographers like Ralph Hope Johnson and Ray Barnes. And and I guess, you know, this became a melting pot of ideas and and possibilities and in fact my father um, in 1971 is is quoted as saying is there any reason why Tasmania should not be more beautiful on the day we leave it than on the day we came Hmm. if we can revise our attitudes towards the land under our feet if we can accept the role of steward and depart from the role of conqueror then we can accept that man and nature are inseparable parts of a unified whole and then Tasmania can become a shining beacon in a dull and largely artificial world. That's so beautifully there, put, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I think he's been, this is probably one of my father's more famous quotes, but I think it's still so true today and it informs many people's actions as they try to protect special places in their in their regional yes, sort of space. That that work is incomplete, it would be, it would be fair to say. Yeah, uh, yeah. But this was an important moment, Francis, the, the, the campaign to, to save PETA. This, this gave rise to the United Tasmania Group. Tell us about that and why that's significant. Well, the United Tasmanian Group uh, came about um, because 
at the time, I think the campaigners realised, they recognised the might of an influence of the Hydroelectric Commission and they knew they had to challenge this at another level. And so that's when the politics started to um, become, you know, a bigger, a bigger picture and the, the strategies for fighting the Hydroelectric Commission. Now, subsequently, the UTG became a Greens party, which subsequently became the Australian Greens. And, and this was groundbreaking internationally because mm. it heralded um, the world's first Green well, not just movement, but, but political party. So, yes, definitely a rich history there. The history is rich and, and, and the creation of that political entity is, of course, a, a success of its kind. We see Bob Brown and Christine Milne involved in the Lake Petter campaign, but, but Rima, it was ultimately unsuccessful. And, and that presented your parents with the, the, the tragic, uh, the, well, the curse of watching that lake drown day by day. What was, what was that like for them? Well, it was heartbreaking, Jonathan, for my family, as well as the many people who had <clears throat> formed an attachment to that lake and been moved and changed by its magnificence. And it's those people who have, who recognised the need for, as Francis says, a voice in the political arena for environment and conservation values, which are not sort of marginalised in some people's views. It's, it's actually quite central. If we don't have a planet to live on, we won't actually survive. So on, on a local level, we needed a voice in the halls of decision-making to help these processes. And so it was heartbreaking for us, but it also mm. became inspiration, was transformed into inspiration for strategic campaigning for the uh, Franklin campaign, the Franklin River campaign, yep. which was after seven years of struggle, successful. And, you know, it is a World Heritage Area in Tasmania that contains both the Franklin River and Lake Pedder, which was in fact a national park at the time of the flooding. So strong natural values there and a great lead by Tasmania. And now, Francis, 50 years on, the possibility and, and a campaign around this to, to restore Lake Petter, to, to unflood the lake. How can that mm. happen? What did, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm amazed and, and sort of uplifted by the prospect, but, but how does that happen? It, it's interesting, Jonathan. Many people have given us this feedback about what you mean there is a possibility of restoration? When I first sort of started to make the program, I, I didn't realise that the restoration theme, uh, because I, I was being educated too in the process of, of making this story about Lake Pedder. And part of my education was learning about the current push for restoration, which, by the way, is, is not a new thing. The Lake Pedder org people uh, leading the, the charge here uh, and that includes uh, work being done by um, a, a woman Tabitha Badger and of course Christine Milne mm. who are leading that charge around restoration and the anchor point here and the timing here for putting Lake Petter up as a possible restoration project globally 
is to align itself. Well, Christine Milne argues that Lake Pedder could be nominated in the UN decade of ecological change. Lake Pedder could be Australia's project as, as a registered project to, to restore. Uh, so that's, that's gaining momentum too. And th- that, that, of course, becomes part of the story around buried treasure. And, and Rima, that would be... It, given, given what we confront ecologically uh, in the world, to have a, a reversal like that, to have a restoration like that, would be a thing of of tremendous significance beyond simply restoring Lake Pedder. Indeed, Jonathan, indeed. In fact, you know, the scientific research shows that there's 19 ecosystems in Australia that are, you know, facing collapse at the moment. In 1996, there was a federal inquiry into the draining of Lake Pedder yep. and that federal inquiry found that it was in fact feasible and in, in 2019 Christine Milne commissioned Dr Anita Wild who's an ecosystem restoration scientist to do further works and investigate the real feasibility what would be the steps what would be the components that we need to look at as a whole proposal and so this groundwork has already been done it's 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 as francis said it's not a new idea and and really everything is ready to sort of put it forward as a as a nomination from australia as a, a model ecosystem restoration project well exciting that it might be an idea whose whose time after 50 years has has come. Uh, thank you to both of you. If if you want to hear more about this extraordinary story about the the Lake Pedder campaign, check out RN's History Listen. Uh, look for the program Buried Treasure: The Story of Lake Pedder. There's much more for you to hear there. Uh, Rima Takanis, Francis Green, thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. Pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks a lot. This is Blueprint. <laughs> Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.